Welcome to our first Q&A of 2022. I'm Stuart Clarkson. I've come to Keithley today to the office of the Keithley and Ilkley MP, Robbie Moore, who's going to be answering some of your questions that you've been sending in. Happy New Year to you, Robbie. Happy New Year. Um, hope you got a bit of a break over Christmas. A, a small break. <laughs> I must admit it was small though, but um, it, it was great nevertheless. So. It doesn't look like you ate too many mince pies, so that's all right. Um, let's start by just going back to slightly before Christmas. Um, middle of December, you voted in Parliament against the Conservative government only a handful of times now that you've done that in the two years you've been RMP. Um, and you opposed the Plan B measures uh, for tackling COVID in, in December and through Christmas, which obviously now have been extended a little bit further. We're now seeing record case numbers nationally, locally. There are some kind of, you know, quite serious numbers of, of people getting COVID. Do you th- still think people shouldn't be working from home, shouldn't be having to prove that they haven't got it and that they have been vaccinated to go into places where there are lots of people about? Why well, I, I did... Um Uh, voice my concerns about uh, the plan B measures um, on two points really. Uh, One was the guidance uh, for working from home. I felt that that uh, makes uh, it very difficult for an employer um, to make that decision and both for the employee to make that decision um, when it's only guidance. And and likewise at the time we uh, or the government was saying issuing guidance to work from home but yet you could go and meet those same work colleagues uh, in a hospitality environment. in my view, uh, that just does not make sense if the uh, goal is to reduce transmission rates, which of course it is. And I could not vote for something which I did not feel made sense. And the second point was um, on COVID passes, in which the government was bringing out the requirement to prove uh, vaccination status or a negative test status for venues that were holding more than 500 people. And my view on that was it was just um, the slippery slope for um, COVID passes potentially being uh, implemented um for much smaller businesses and i do not want to be putting more onerous on businesses for having to implement those measures um so i wasn't supportive of those measures um as i didn't feel that um they really had any traction in trying to reduce transmission rates and there were people at the time saying actually the measures don't go far enough and with what we've seen now over the last few weeks you know really high levels in that period between christmas and new year should we be doing more now to stop the spread? Well, no, I, I'm very much of the view that we need to be getting into a position of live with the virus. Um, yes, we are seeing uh, COVID cases increasing, but what we are not seeing is that transmitting into increased hospitalisation rates with people with COVID. Um, and that's I think the hospitals the, would say that they're busy because they've got staff off isolating them. It's, the, it's so. the staff isolation issue. It's not the hospitalisation issue. So what we are in my view, absolutely right to focus on um, is ensuring that everyone fulfills the full vaccination programme and gets boosted because that is absolutely the way that we will be able to um, remove all restrictions and get back to proper normality. And there are some changes coming to you know, the, the requirement to get PCR tests and things this week. But as it stands today, and we're recording this on Friday in, in Ilkley, in Steeton, in Silsden, in Exley Head, in Oakworth, in Haworth, Case numbers are in the kind of, you know, the darkest colours on the map, if you like, when you look at the data. Uh, more than 1,600 people per 100,000 have got the virus at the moment. So should we be worried? I think we have to be worried if it results in people being very ill and getting uh, and being hospitalised. 
just looking at COVID data is great because that's what results in testing people and that's where the focus has been. Um, But if it's not resulting in um, extreme illness and then hospitalisation, I think we absolutely need to be less worried. And that's where the focus wants to be on ensuring that everyone goes and gets their their vaccine. Do you think people are very lax when it comes to the rules that are now in place in terms of, you know, masks in schools, masks in shops, those kind of things, and that's leading to the case numbers. I mean, there's an element that says, you know, you voted against bringing in more rules. People saw that and they perceived that to say, well, even if our MP doesn't care, why should I follow any rules? Well, uh, on the Plan B measures, I actually voted to have uh, face masks brought in because I thought that was a reasonable measure. And from what I've seen is most people do seem to be adhering to that. Um, You know, all throughout the last uh, 20 uh, or so months, We've always had instances where restrictions have not, unfortunately, been uh, respected. and Including uh, in Downing Street. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and we've seen that happen um, here in uh, the constituency as well. So, um, but, you know, my advice to everybody is please, please go and get vaccinated. Get the booster um, because there are still a lot of people have not come forward to get their, their third vaccination. And there are a lot of unfilled spaces. And that's where the priority's got to be. There was a lot of um, media coverage in the run-up to Christmas about last Christmas and those parties at Downing Street. Did that make you wince a little bit, kind of seeing uh, it didn't. It, it, it infuriated me, to be quite honest about it. Um, I was very, very annoyed. Um, I think it's infuriating if those that are uh, bringing in and... Um, you know, deciding on restrictions, if they are then not adhering to them at the same time, um, that is completely not on. Obviously, um, there's uh, an inquiry going on into that at the moment, and let's see what comes out of that. Um, But any constituent that kindly wrote to me expressing their concerns about that, I was uh, wrote back to them all and was equally robust with my view on that. I bet you had a bulging post bag. Um, Michael in Keithley asks, did you go to any Christmas parties last year? Uh, no, uh, I didn't my, get any invites. Or? No, I didn't get any invites. Let's be no. I um our our team Christmas meet uh, Christmas party um, <laughs> Christmas meeting uh, Christmas no. party. It's the same thing, isn't it? Uh, was on Zoom, um, and we I think we did a Christmas quiz over Zoom. So uh, like most work environments, um, many sectors are experiencing staff shortages. We talked about hospitals. Um, I think four percent of NHS staff were off work last week because of COVID, and we're seeing the biggest jumps in absence in Yorkshire here and also in the northeast it's not just the nhs businesses as well you know we're hearing from restaurants and cafes and shops independent businesses with small numbers of staff who lose two or three members of staff and they just can't open they're not getting the support that they got when they had to close when they were forced to close but now because of the isolation rules they're losing money should there be more support for those businesses yeah i i I, I am very sympathetic to this because um, because absolutely, as you say at the moment, um, if you're having to self-isolate, we've reduced the self-isolation from 10 days to uh, seven days, but it does have a massive impact on productivity. Uh, the government on the 21st of December announced some further funding that was going out to hospitality sector, hair and beauty, um, and some other businesses that have been impacted. And, um, and those businesses, I would encourage to go forward to Bradford Council now to apply for additional funding that they can receive and I'm sure that will help but yes I think we've now got to move forward to a position um, where 
if there is a lot of self-isolation that is taking place, which is really starting to impact productivity for a longer period of time, then there may be a case for further support needing to be provided. But again, I come back to the point that I made at the start was we've got to learn to live with this virus. There will be new variants that come about. And that's why we've got to focus on the um, ensuring that everybody gets vaccinated, because then hopefully we'll get to a position where self-isolation will no longer need to be a, a requirement that's implemented. You mentioned those grants of up to £6,000 for hospitality and leisure and, and health and beauty. Um, the businesses are saying they haven't got that money yet. You know, it was before Christmas. We've had a messaging from Sarah Wilkinson, who I think you've met yeah, before. Yeah, and communicated with, yeah. Yeah, from Equilibrium uh, in Silston. And she says... Um, you know, after investigating the council website, there's no mention of these funds. You know, why are we still not getting this money? The government announced it. The MP says, "Here you are. Here's going to be some money to help you." She needs that money now, but she yeah. can't get it. Yeah, and I've I've actually emailed Sarah back today. Um, so hopefully she received that email. And I had a meeting with the chief executive uh, of Bradford Council today as well, specifically to talk about this because the government have been very clear in um, how that guidance needs to be issued to businesses. And uh, the chief exec told me today that their website needs to be updated and also to make sure that I want to make sure that the government is giving all the information to our local authorities. I've got a meeting on Monday with Paul Scully, who's the Minister for Business and ensuring that COVID support gets out to businesses as quickly as possible. So hopefully Sarah at Equilibrium, a great business um, in, in Silsden, um, can get the support as well as others um, as quickly as possible. And I know, um, I think it was November, the last cultural recovery fund as well, which um, some of our local groups and cinemas and the Ilka Literature Festival, people like that have had quite a significant amount of money Money from, but there are other businesses that aren't getting anything at all. Do you think it's fair that a cinema gets hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds and a coffee shop doesn't get very much at all? Well, some businesses have definitely been impacted much more so than others. Um, and some businesses uh, directly as a result of restrictions that have been imposed by uh, government. And I think that if the government are imposing severe restrictions that prohibits, you know, the economic prosperity of that business, that it's right that um, there is some sort of support that's given. Cinemas did have a, uh, a very, very difficult time to the extent that um, some were at the position of closing. Um, and I'm pleased that those businesses have been supported, uh, where others have managed to keep going and have managed to um, ensure that um, uh, cash flow has managed to, to, to roll in. But yeah, of, of course, if there is a case for a business that's needing to be supported as a result, as a direct result of government uh, restrictions being imposed, then uh, it is right that the government look at uh, trying to support those. One of the things that you campaigned about before you won the seat here in Keith and Ilkley and was in your kind of pledges was the bridge over the A629 between Silsden and Steeton. I think both of your predecessors, the, the last MP and the one before that, also were trying to make it happen. Still no bridge there. Things are moving ahead. Um, people are getting quite frustrated about it now. Yeah, and likewise I am. It's moving ahead at a snail's pace. It was Chris Hopkins when he was the MP that secured 700,000 that was given to WICA by uh, the government to undertake a feasibility study for the bridge. And surprisingly, the feasibility studies came out saying, yes, we need a bridge. Um, and yet here we are in 2022 now and there is no bridge. So I've raised this in Parliament numerous 
numerous times um, and been uh, reassured time and time again by the Department for Transport that now all of the money that is needed to build the bridge has been given to uh, the West Yorkshire Combined Authority via the devolution deal and therefore it's simply a case of getting the West Yorkshire Combined Authority to spend that money on the bridge. Now, the cost of the bridge has escalated over this period of time to something that is ridiculous. It first of all had a price tag of 3.6, then 5.5, and now I think we're at 10.3. I mean, I'm not sure what we're expecting here, but all we need is a safe crossing over uh, the dual carriageway. And I only hope that this isn't Bradford Council putting a price tag on it to throw it into the long grass. Yeah, and that's exactly the point that Paul in Silsner has made to us. Um, he said, you know, that when they built the Angel of the North, it was £800,000, which is only 1.4 million of today's money. So what does 10 million get you? Um, Tracy also in Silsden, my question, why does it cost 10 million to build a footbridge over the bypass? Way overpriced. They should have done it when building the bypass. Have you ever tried getting across there yourself, Robbie, in the mornings or the afternoon, she says? I have. And I've actually tried to do it um, sort of at rush hour time on a, on a dark evening, actually. Um, and it is not easy at all. And not only is crossing the dual carriageway difficult, the footpath between Silsden and the dual carriageway is very, very narrow. Now, what I want to see um, secured is not only that new bridge, but as I think I've said to you before, uh, Stuart, is making sure that the, the footpath into Silsden is widened sufficiently so that everyone feels safe walking along there. And also, uh, if cyclists want to use a proper cycle lane, then so be it. But it's got to be increased in width as well. Is that where the extra cost has come from then, do you think? if well, they're, they're... I, I, No, I don't think it has because those Because plans... they're going to have to buy some land to do that. They're, they're going to have to buy some land anyway to build the bridge. So, uh, and all of these, you know, widening of the footpath has always been part of the project. It's, it's not something that should be considered in isolation. I have no idea how the price has increased to 10.3 from 5.5 in the space of six months. Now, the, it, this report went to the Bradford Council's executive this week. I'm pleased that they're wanting to move it in that in a, in a forward direction, but to double the price of it to, to 10.3 million is just ludicrous in my mind. Um, we just want a safe crossing quickly so that this isn't thrown into the long grass. And you mentioned that the Department of Transport's obviously said here's the money to do it but presumably they won't hand over the full 10 million if they think it might only cost three or four million. Well you know <laughs> this is taxpayers money that we're talking about you know we all want to make sure that taxpayers money is spent wisely um, and that's why um, you know and it's only right that I as the MP ensure that uh, taxpayers money is spent wisely which is why I'm very concerned that when this report was uh, submitted to Bradford Council's executive earlier this week at a cost of 10.3 million there was no background information on how 10.3 million had been reached it was almost a, a figure that had been plucked out of the air so yes please can we have this bridge uh, uh Wyker, and can we have it built quickly and can we have it built at a cost which is um, responsible to the taxpayer um, moving on to some other rising costs our listeners have been getting in touch about the rising costs of their own bills in their own households everything's going up whether it's the price of houses or petrol or energy in particular and obviously there's talk about the the changes to the price cap coming in uh, at the end of this winter some of your constituents may have a decision this winter as to whether they eat or heat are you concerned about that 
Well, of course, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everybody needs to be able to heat their home and to eat. Um, and I absolutely acutely conscious that we've got some difficult um, times ahead. Um, you know, energy prices will be a big issue on the government's agenda, uh, on my agenda uh, going forward over the, uh, the months ahead. But what can you actually do about it other than saying to the energy companies, sorry, you can't charge that much? That's a mechanism that government has in terms of putting a, a, a cap in there. But I think there's also got to be much more proactive approaches in terms of securing sustainable energy sources and not relying on um, other countries to, to get particular, uh, f- for example, gas uh, into, into the UK energy supply. We've got to be much more self-sufficient. But what I absolutely don't uh, feel is the right approach is what the opposition have called for, which is, again, nationalisation um, of, uh, of uh, utility sectors. So I, I think that's the well, we could approach. end up with that if more and more of them go bust or as there's a kind of growing campaign let's let's not pay our energy bills and then these companies will all go bust and they'll have to be nationalized yeah but of course i think to bring um utility companies back into nationalization is completely the wrong uh, approach it, it leads to actually um the sector being less competitive and prices being driven down less for the for for a consumer but um, these companies are making lots of profit and the individuals making a lot of and profit that, and that's where the government is able to step in into a private sector environment and to influence the market rather than having complete nationalisation of it. Um, you campaigned for Brexit and were a supporter of that as, as an MP going in after Brexit. Um, Richard in Ilkley points out in the EU we gave a significant proportion of VAT over to Brussels and we could now reduce our VAT if we wanted to as a sovereign state again. Why doesn't the government do that? Certainly with fuel it would make a little bit of a, an impact, 5% on the energy cost, but for cost of living generally... Would you support a VAT cut, bring it back down to 175 or 15%? I think it's it's absolutely one of the mechanisms that needs to be looked at by the Chancellor. And uh, the Chancellor, not through his budget and his spending review, looks at all types of taxation and how the Treasury can get best value for money, um, but also how the taxpayer can get best value for money when they're actually uh, when there are difficult situations in terms of utility bills um, as well. And, um, you know, all of this is of course got to be considered on the back of the pandemic where I think over the last 18 months uh, 20 months we've borrowed about 450-460 billion pounds the biggest borrowing that the country has taken on since the second world war and the books have got to be balanced and it all has to be looked at in the round but of course I would welcome any review of any taxation uh, for the Chancellor to take into account uh, to make sure that taxpayers, residents get best value for money. And obviously from a, an employee point of view um, wages will go up, the national minimum wage is, is increasing again in April but that's another cost for these businesses, the small independent businesses in your constituency who tell us that they're struggling already because of fewer people coming through the door because of COVID, and now they've got to pay their staff more as well. But I think we the will... impact of that is going to be a higher price for those, for those yeah, shops and, and I... businesses to charge. But we we will get back to a scenario where we, we are not living in a in a world with restrictions that are imposed by the government, and uh, people will want to um, get back to normality in terms of spending. And I think we have to get to a position where we. Have have a high skill, um, high wage economy. And I think that's a, a, a definitely a step in the right direction. How will the, the, the extra 30 odd million pounds that's coming to Keithley help with the economy here? We're talking about the Towns Fund, obviously, but um, you know, this levelling up agenda, 
are we seeing any of that actually happen on the ground yet? Well, yes. Yeah. So um, the government have ring-fenced 33.6 million that's coming directly into Keefley. That's ring-fenced on several big projects. Um, how will it help drive local economy? Um, f- approximately 15 million of that 33.6 has been spent on um, uh, developing and getting our brownfield sites into a state that private inward investment can come into uh, Keefley. Uh, we're having a new skills hub, a new manufacturing, engineering and tech hub built. All vital pieces of the jigsaw to help improve that skills agenda um, that drives and upskills people in Keefley and from beyond uh, to that helps our manufacturing, engineering and tech businesses within Keefley. So, of course, it takes time to get there. The business cases are now all being submitted to government um, this spring and into the summer for us to be able to draw down that money to get on with the building of the projects. Robbie, I know something you've been quite vocal on is um, house building. There's a lot of house building going on around the constituency at the moment. There are more and more houses uh, seeking to be built in parts of our area as well. And uh, one of the things you're concerned about is the state of the houses when they're built. We absolutely need to ensure that there are good quality houses that are built you know it's probably the most important the most expensive purchase that any of us make Um, and unfortunately um, through various house development house building developments that we've seen across the constituency uh, the state in which that they've been completed to and the quality of which not only some of the homes but the wider uh, development has been completed to has has not been of a quality that anyone would expect and uh, the one I'm thinking off the top of my head is uh, unfortunately the Harren Homes development, the High Banks uh, development in Silsden, which I raised in Parliament this week because that particular house uh, developer has not finished off a lot of the snagging issues on the individual properties, but also the road, the sewage connection. This is not good enough two years after the development was completed. It is our, you know, my role um, to hold these house developers to account when they don't get it right. And it's not just Harren, but other developers I know have had similar snagging issues. Most people who buy a new house will tell you they found something wrong with it uh, within a year or two. Is it down to the councils not having the resource to check these developers and make sure that they're meeting the required standards? Whose responsibility is it? Well, I think part of it is always uh, down to inspection by local authority. And and in their defence, they would say, well, we've had our budgets cut, so we haven't got the staff to do that. Well, yeah, they may say that. But I mean, the reality of it is that they have a, that they're duty bound to uh, inspect and make sure what is being built is A, in line with the planning consent and B, in line with building regulations. But also... The responsibility does sit on the housing developer as well. You know, surely they are contractually obliged when a purchaser comes in to buy a house that's just been built for them, that it is of a standard and that the development is of a standard. And actually, one of the the points that I raised in uh, the chamber in Parliament this week was, I think that the government should actually bring out much stricter measures that puts more pressure on the developer to make sure that houses are completed to a a good quality. And what I'd want to see is a proper auditing process process put in place, an obligation on a developer to go back to the purchaser six months, 12 months, you know, maybe 18 months after completion of the development to make sure that it has been completed as the purchaser expected. And if not, that remedies are put in place in a timely fashion. And if not completed, that the housing developer is penalised financially for that, or that they are prohibited um, from undertaking further development elsewhere for a period of time. But something has got to be done so that your purchaser is not being penalised for shoddy work. And in terms of the number of houses we're possibly going to get built in this area over the next five, ten years, there are developments springing up 
all over the place already, you know, even in Silsden as well as High Banks, there's the new one opposite Aldi, there's the new one at the top of uh, Bolton Road on the way out to Addingham as well. So how do we ensure that these are going to developers who are not going to do a shoddy job? Well, and I think that comes down to um, when the planning application is submitted, that there is almost a due diligence uh, undertaken at the same time of that housing developer. I mean, let's be honest, there are very good housing developers out there that are absolutely wanting to do the right thing and do very good developments. But unfortunately, there are cowboys out there as well that do um, shoddy work. And we have to differentiate between the two. And I do think that the government actually could do a lot more in making sure that uh, those checks and balances are in place. Um, But yes, you're absolutely right to identify that there is a lot of house building going on. And we saw in the uh, draft local plan that had been put out by Bradford Council uh, only uh, 12 months ago, and it will be coming out for reconsultation early this year, where we're seeing, you know, another extra 3,000 houses that are proposed to be built within our area uh, over the next 15 years most of which are on green belt land, which I am um, very much opposed to. Something we've spoken to you um, a little bit about before is Children's Services at Bradford Council. And I know you've been quite vocal about calling for a Rotherham-style inquiry into child sexual abuse, but also recently the tragic case of Star Hobson that the trial came to a, a conclusion of. And again, you were calling for some quite drastic changes. You were calling for the, the leader of the council, the chief executive, to resign what good will that do? Isn't it about changing things rather than removing a leader who has no direct involvement in the case? Well, I would, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I disagree on that. I, I think that when you um, have a leader, they set the strategy, they set the culture, and they set the ambitions and the objectives of a, uh, of a council or any organisation to f- uh, follow through with. And the book stops at the top. Uh, the reality of it is we have a chief executive that has resided over Bradford Council since 2015. Children's Services was rated completely inadequate in 2018 and shown no improvement since 2018 to the extent that we have the government has now had to step in in autumn of last year and put a commissioner to oversee and review children's services and we have a report um, that will be getting submitted to the education secretary this month from that commissioner uh, outlining what he is proposing should happen going forward and there is a potential that children's services will be removed from Bradford Council or there will need to be a different structure put in place and that is why on the back of um, the Star Hobson case a very very tragic case a 16 month toddler that was um, abused for a long period of time neglected um, and brutally murdered at, at the end by Star's uh, mother's partner um, but in that case we saw that Bradford Council's children's services had been notified five times in advance of that murder way in advance in terms of uh, time scale but by different people and the case was closed nothing was done about that that child could have been protected but it was not and that all unfortunately was not just an isolated case this goes on back of all of the other failings that have happened within children's services over a long period of time and that is why I feel it is perfectly right to call for a change in leadership at the top because it's the leader both the chief exec and the leader of the council that set the strategy going forward and my view is um, that change can only happen when you have clear proper direction and strategy that is set from the top. 
And you wrote last month as well to the Attorney General about the sentences that were given to uh, Savannah Brockhill and, and Frankie Smith, uh, asking for those to be reviewed. I think you're still waiting for an answer on that, are you? Yes. And so I wrote to the Attorney General um, as soon as the sentences had been issued. And the, the Attorney General has 28 days from the date of sentencing um, to, to, to make a decision as whether those cases should be reviewed. So hopefully we'll probably hear next week. Uh, I think that falls within the 28-day deadline but yeah I, I absolutely do so here we have a, a again a horrific case where the mother was only sentenced for eight months with the ability of of, of effectively early release and um and a 25 year uh, sentence awarded for the mother's partner who was convicted of murder you know my view is that those sentences were not long enough not um and, and what i want to ensure is that the sentences are um served in full How concerned are you um, that children in Keighley could continue being harmed with the the state of children's services in Bradford at the moment? Well, very concerned. And that's why I am calling for drastic changes. In July of um, last year, we had a lightweight 50-page review on child sexual exploitation, um, which concluded that there are still children within the Bradford district that remain at risk. And when we're talking about child sexual exploitation, there is still an unknown quantity of perpetrators that remain unchallenged. So yes, I am very concerned and I uh, will repeat my calls for change, for drastic change, for better support for victims, their families, and better support to be provided so that trust can be reinstalled back into these organisations that have failed our children and our community for far too long, like Bradford Council when it comes to children's services, but also the police. Changing subject completely, um, Karen in Steeton has sent a question. Can you tell me why Tony Blair has been knighted? It's abhorrent to think someone who's the architect of thousands of deaths has been recognised in this way. Knighthoods for former prime ministers and Tony Blair in particular, do you support that? So the reason that Tony Blair has been awarded a knighthood um, is a direct result as a decision made by Her Majesty the Queen. And uh, that is because uh, the Queen personally decided to make Tony Blair um, a member of the Order of the Garter, um, which I think is the only chivalry that the Queen has the ability to make a personal decision on. Uh, so that's why. Do I agree with it? I probably um, would have scrutinised this decision much more if I was uh, Her Majesty. Should David Cameron get a knighthood? Should Boris Johnson get one when he leaves Downing Street, if he ever leaves Downing Street? I don't think we should fall into a, 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 a um, system where every former Prime Minister um, is awarded a knighthood. I think that is completely the wrong strategy to take. Knighthoods um, are, you know, one of the greatest honours that should be installed on anybody. Uh, And you would wear that absolutely with a badge of pride. Of course you would. Um, But they should be um, awarded on absolute merit for doing the right thing over a long period of time and where the the country is 100% behind you. Talking of trust in prime ministers... How much do you kind of back your Prime Minister at the moment? Obviously, there's all the stuff about parties in Downing Street, which has hit him a little bit in terms of his own rating. Um, We've had a a few sleaze scandals through the autumn towards Christmas as well, Owen Paterson being one of them, and accusations of lies being told to Parliament. Again, at Prime Minister's questions this week, uh, he said that he never said something, and then the video clip came out within minutes saying that he did. Uh, How much do you support the Prime Minister, and how much do you want him to stay? 
Well, I've been quite vocal about um, the frustrations that I had towards the end of last year um, on on the Owen Paterson issue. I was deeply frustrated by the government's position on that. And again, you've already asked me about the Christmas parties. Uh, but what I am absolutely determined to do is stand up for uh, the people of this constituency, do the right thing, work as hard as I can and um, do the the best job that I can to the best of my ability to make sure that this constituency, Keighley and Ilkley, is proudly represented in Parliament. I think we talked uh, briefly about this in one of our previous Q&As, but uh, we had another message came through ahead of this one to say, seeing as he's blocked everyone for commenting on his government's record and his own voting record, can you ask Robbie Moore why he blocks everyone and doesn't represent us? I think this is to do with people on Twitter, social media, people who are your constituents who you represent, but you're choosing to not engage with them. Well, I won't engage with people that are abusive uh, to me online um, or uh, want to take a particularly abusive uh, stance towards uh, to me um, or, 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 or you know call me out in that regard. I am absolutely duty bound to uh, to respond to all constituents, um, and if anyone wants to hear my views or get in touch with me, the door of my office is always open and I always respond to emails or if people want to write to me. I don't get involved in uh, conversations on social media. I will respond as, as much as I can to the odd Facebook comment. Um, I never generally respond to anything on Twitter. I think Twitter can be a very nasty place, uh, if I'm being honest. I generally use Twitter as a, a broadcast to let people know what I'm doing. But, you know, we're all human beings at the end of the day I'm working hard I'm trying to do the best job that I can um, but yeah I think I'm perfectly within my right to block any in- individual that is abusive to me online and what are your main hopes for 2022 for this area what do you hope to achieve I really want us to get to back to a position of driving economic prosperity for this area. Um, you know, we are a great community. Uh, there is a lot of things to be shouting from the rooftops about, but of course we've got a lot of challenges. You know, for me, the number one aim has got to be driving economic prosperity uh, for, for the whole area. And that, that, that involves all of those projects, you know, like getting that bridge, you know, between Silton and Steetonville, getting those uh, towns fund projects off the ground uh, that we've managed to secure the 33.6 million from. But also dealing with some of the sort of darker issues that haunt this community. And that is where I'm talking about child sexual exploitation, children's services, because we've got to sort those issues out because... You know, this community has been haunted by them for far too long. Let's get traction. Let's move things in the right direction. And that also involves um, dealing with probably the, the, the second biggest issue that I get communicated on about, which we haven't actually spoken about. You've not asked me a question on it. And that is the, um, drugs and crime. I was, I was just thinking, uh, actually, that yeah. the probably since we last spoke, um, you talked in Parliament about fireworks and the link with drugs as well. And yeah. that prevented a, a bit of a response online. Yeah, and I, I was absolutely highlighting a, a very local issue um, that, that happens, you know. Um, and for far too long, this community, again, has been haunted by um, drug dealing that's been going on. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I said to you last time, but um, a constituent up in Long Lee uh, kindly contacted me with video evidence of drug drops being undertaken by uh, a Keefley taxi firm. You know, this is completely 
wholly uh, wrong. And I will absolutely always call these individuals out and call these issues out so we can get proper traction in dealing with this. You know, I am duty bound to stand up between the difference of right and wrong, and I will continue to do that. Why is that not being tackled still? You know, this is a problem that Keith Lee has probably had for years and years, decades even. So when talking about taxi licensing, for example, and where, where there's a, f- a fault found if there is a, someone that's in breach of their licensing for doing drug drops... One of the issues that I've found, which I wasn't aware of, um, but is a national issue that needs to be addressed, and actually I've spoke on a private member's bill on this, is that um, taxi licensing. So if if you're a taxi driver and you want to go and get licensed, you go and get that license from your local authority. If you then lose that license, there is nothing to stop you going to another local authority to get a license um, uh, to then, but, but you can still operate in the same area that you're operating in previously. That's got to be sorted out. So there's got to be much more openness between all local authorities, a much more national licensing system. So that if you're banned for whatever the purpose uh, and lose your licence, then that should be you banned absolutely nationally. And on the, on the broader point of drug dealing going on in our communities, the police would say they haven't got the resource to deal with that and everything else they need to do, I guess. Well, of course, the government have absolutely committed to putting not only more police on the ground, but also uh, allocating more resources and finance to specifically dealing with uh, tackling uh, drug crime and, um, and and county lines. We saw a big announcement by the Prime Minister just before Christmas on tackling county lines. A lot more money is going into that. Um, and that's where communities that have struggled with these issues, that have been haunted by these issues for far too long uh, will we'll hopefully benefit from that but it's an issue that I will continue to raise. As always Robbie thank you for talking to Rumble's Radio. Thank you.